Okay, there's a story about the eagle, an eagle and the chicken. Uh, so, you know, long story short, there's an eagle's egg that gets lost. The eagle's egg, a farmer takes it and puts it under another chick, chicken, and all the eggs hatch at the same time. So there's one eagle and there's these other chicks, right? So the eagle tries to fly, but all the other chicks make fun. Like, you know, as it gets older, the, all the other chicks make fun of it. Um, and so one day looked in the sky and it saw another eagle and said, I want to be just like that. And so it kept trying, it kept trying, kept trying until one day it flew. And for me, that really resonates with me because I've always felt like an eagle, like no disrespect to people I grew up with. I've always felt like an eagle among chickens, you know, because I was just in an environment where people didn't see themselves getting, going any higher. They were so content with how high they could go. They were so content with where they were, but I saw something further and I knew that I could do more, but that really inspires me because even though it's, it's kind of fictional, there's something, there's something about my connection to the ego. Um, and not to say like I'm better than anyone, but I just, my vision was different than everyone else's. I think that story really inspires me. You are listening to the Derek Asante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Asante, and today I'm speaking with a special individual. And I mean that literally. Uh, I don't use it all the time, but this individual is actually someone that I truly respect and admire. Um... Let me start with this laundry list. It's a long list, and that's why I say it like that, of, of his accomplishments and, and things that he's doing within the community and beyond. He's the first poet laureate of Ontario. He's also an arts educator, a community leader, an inspirational speaker, the founder of RISE. For those of you who are not familiar with RISE, it means reaching intelligent souls everywhere. And he's also an author. This brother uses spoken word to empower and transform others through edutainment, right? And I love the the fact that he puts words like that together, right? Entertainment and education. So stay with me here. There's a lot of gems that he's going to drop with us today uh, through our conversation. And I can go on for much longer about his accomplishments, but I'll give him the space to be able to share some of those that, you know, we aren't even privy of that's still in development. So please, without further ado, help me welcome my brother, Randall Ajay. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, a real pleasure to be here. Man, I, I, I'm, I'm a loss for words when I was, you know, looking up your track record and kind of looking up the things that you've been doing and the amazing things. And I was fortunate enough to be able to witness the early stages of Rise and, and, and where you've taken it. Now, I'm really excited about this conversation and I have to be honest with you. So... Mm-hmm. I'm going to start from the beginning with you, but before I get to that, I want to share a quote with you by uh, Maya Angelou. And what I want you to share with me is what comes to mind when you hear those words. Okay. Yep. It reads, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. What comes to mind when you hear that? Wow. I think the first thing that comes to mind is agency and perspective. And I say agency because we can't control the hardships, as mentioned, that happens. You know, hardships, adversity, 
it's inevitable. You can't control what's going to happen. But I think it's really important in terms of agency because we have a lot more power than we, we think we do in life. And the sooner we recognize the agency, the power we have over our own lives, I guess I also think about it like this and it's fitting when I think about Maya Angelou, but it's, we are the authors and we are also the main characters in our own story. So that's what really comes to mind. Wow. I, I like that, that we are the authors of our stories. I wish more of us can, you know, buy into that and actually believe that. Um, and I'm finding that I'm meeting a lot more authors lately than I, I did in the past mm. and, and authors that look like you and I. And so mm-hmm. that's the beauty in that. And I think that message is coming through is that we can tell our own stories and we should tell our own stories and write our own stories, not just speak it into existence. Right. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Now, let's start from the beginning. <clears throat> What's your background? Where's Randall from? I, I know, but I want the listeners to kind of catch up, you know, to where you were at. So I want to start from the beginning and kind of work our way to the present day. Sure. Well, I am a proud Ghanaian. Uh, specifically, both my parents are from Accra, the capital city in Ghana. And that's where I grew up from one to, one to about six years old. So, you know, learned a lot about my, my culture, my heritage, my traditions at a really early age. I came back to Canada because I was born in Toronto. And when I came back, uh, originally I lived in Scarborough. When I came back, I moved to Fleminet Park, mm-hmm. uh, which is the most diverse community in the world. And then uh, later on, I've been in Scarborough ever since. Wow. Now, what, what are you most proud about when you, when you mention your culture? What part of your culture, if you had to list just one or maybe two that you're really proud of? Man, one thing. Oh, that's, that's actually <laughs> harder than I thought. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of this. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, when I went home for the first time after 19 years, the biggest thing I learned was the importance of speaking my tongue. You know, my parents speak Ga, um, mm-hmm. we're Ga. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really grateful because since I went back in 2016, I just decided to speak my language more often. And, and I think I'm really proud of my, my language because, you know, my language is really what brings me back to understanding my parents a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I like that. Like, you come from a large family or a small family? A pretty, pretty large family. Um, my, 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 my dad had, uh, I think there was 10 siblings. Oh, wow. And then my mom, I think there were seven of them. So pretty large family overall. That sounds like it's, it's, it's a norm for back then, right? Like if, if you think back <laughs> yeah. in the seventies and eighties, that was a thing. Like you have to have at least more than five. <laughs> and that was a thing. So I think about my, my mom, I think she come from over 10, you know, she has more than 10 siblings or something like that. It's some crazy number, but that's what's missing too, I find, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, in this part of the world, we're in the West now, but we can't afford to have 10 kids just because yeah. of the way the economy, you know, the economy is and things like that. But think about that. Can you imagine a world where 2022, you know, this generation of Ghanians uh, or, or um, anyone from outside of the West has 10 kids and raising them the way our parents raised us, where we're all together, we eat together, we, we spoke together, we did things together. Can you envision mm-hmm. that? I can't envision it. Uh, I mean, it, things are different. You know, they're very different than, than what they used to be. Yeah. 
but I guess in a way I can't envision it because, you know, these are traditions that, uh, or even not just traditions, but practices that I feel really connect family in a certain way. And, uh, that's the one thing about going back home. Family is so important over there. Not to say it's not important here, but it's important more. It's different, you yeah, know, yeah. uh, it's different back, back home. You do whatever you need to do for family. You sacrifice for family, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's not quite the same here. Yeah. But I do think we can get there though. Yeah. I want to learn a little bit about your father. Sure. Um, what impact did he have on you? What kind of man was he and, and how did he influence you as a young man? Uh, man, you know, it's interesting when I think I just wrote an essay uh, a couple months ago about masculinity and fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is I think most young boys um, grow up thinking this perception of, you know, our dads being uh, ultimately like superheroes, yeah. you know? Yeah. And for a long time, I really did think my dad was a superhero. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that he, he failed me in that. But I think the older I get, I start to realize how he was dealing with systemic, cultural, economic, financial, so many different isms yeah. uh, that I, I start to see why he was the way he was. Mm-hmm. And it affected me a lot because he'd come home and he just didn't have the capacity to, to be a, a, the type of father I wanted him to be. Right. And I realized that I had a lot of expectations of him to be something that he actually was not. And it wasn't his fault that he fell short of my expectation. Yeah. Uh, but I think that relationship really changed the way I behaved at school. I was really angry. I think I felt a lack of self-worth because of his inability mm-hmm. to be there for me, to support me, to love me the way I wanted him to love me. And so I was really angry and I didn't realize that a lot of that anger was really because of the relationship that I had with my father. So the older I got, the more I recognized how much healing I needed to do around that relationship. Mm-hmm. And as difficult as it was, just recognizing how much work it required and how, and how, because he's older and kind of sedentary in his ways, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't expect him to do what I needed him to do. I had to do the work, even though I was kind of the one that was hurt. Right. You know? So I think I look at our relationship now. It's a very beautiful relationship. Like I really have a great relationship with my dad, but it took a lot of work of me just telling him how I felt mm-hmm. and opening up. He was not really receptive to it at first. And we still didn't talk about it when I, you know, originally, yeah. but I could see that his shell started to open up a little bit more to, to see me, not just as his son, but to see me as a person. And, and, and I think uh, our relationship is beautiful today, but it took a lot of work, but it was worth it. Honestly, all the work was worth it. My goodness, it, it's 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 an incredible to hear that because that is a common, common you know theme with with a lot of young black men and their fathers. Like I I can relate to that exact story that you just shared. Now, one thing that stuck out to me was expectations. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about that word over the years? Because. And I throw that out there because I find that we have them and the problem, or I guess I shouldn't say a problem, but the issue with, with expectations is that it's one-sided, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like we project it onto someone else the same way. If I came to your house, you would expect me to take my shoes off, right? Mm-hmm. That's your culture. That's your expectations of me. But if mm-hmm. I'm not of that culture or 
I'm not, you know, exposed to that. And I'm the type that just shows up with my shoes and I'm walking in. You are the only one that gets disappointed because you had those expectations. I didn't, you know, so what, what does that mean to you hearing, hearing that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how you interpret expectations nowadays, but what have you learned from that? I'd say the biggest thing that I've learned about expectations just in general, you know, mm -hmm. is it's not fair to expect something of someone without having a conversation with them about yes. your expectations. Yes. And I think that's the weird thing about expectations. It's like, we expect people to know our expectations. Yes. But that's not fair. Yeah. Because <laughs> if yeah. someone can't live up to the expectations that you never set or you never shared with them, you mm. can't hold them accountable to it. That's it. So my relationship with expectations, I just had this conversation with one of my old teachers, actually. Mm. Uh, he basically said he has no expectations of anyone, yeah. but just of himself, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's real because even holding expectations, even when they are communicated, is something about holding someone accountable uh, in certain instances, which isn't fair to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with my, my expectation, my, I guess, relationship with expectations right now, I'm just more of an observer. Yeah. I'm just more cognizant of what they are. Mm -hmm. And, and often when I look at my expectations, they're rooted in something deeper, something in childhood, for example, that it connects to my sense of worth or something Something often deeper, yeah. either from like a childhood wound or perhaps something you experienced in childhood or just something that you feel you need from someone in order to feel like you can maintain a healthy relationship with that person. Right. But again, going back to it, you got to communicate your expectations, period. Yeah, communication is key. Huge. How many, how many siblings do you have? I have... Uh, I, I don't know exactly to be completely honest with you. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, the, the immediate ones, the immediate ones. That yeah. You... Immediate. Oh yeah, for sure. Immediate. I got five siblings. Um, but my dad had children prior to meeting my mom. So I'm not really sure how many children. He right. has. Yeah. It's one, one of those, you know? So the, the five that you are, you know, privy to knowing on a regular basis, how is your relationship with them? Pretty good. Like pretty good. I'm, I'm the baby of, out of all of us. No way. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the baby. So in a way, it. But in a way, I grew up as an only child for a good majority of my life because of how much older my my brothers were. Right. When they came from Ghana, mm -hmm. um, I really didn't have them. Like they weren't able to play with me, or you know, I was yeah. eleven. They yeah. were like in their twenties. Right. And they only stayed around for a few years before they moved out. So. Right. Uh, we didn't really get to know each other on that on one another on that level, but ultimately they're really, really good people. We have a really good relationship. Nice. You know, they've all got uh, their their children now, their families now, and and it's nice to be able to just be a part of their lives. Nice, nice. Now, reflecting back on on your early upbringing, would you improve on anything? Not change, but improve on anything that you felt was lacking would I change anything that I felt was lacking in me? Yeah. Or improve on it. You don't have to take it out completely, but was there an area in your, in your upbringing that you thought mm, that could have been better or this area could have been better? Hmm. I think the one thing is I, I was a people pleaser when I was younger mm -hmm. and I, I did it because uh, I experienced a lot of abandonment at a very young age. Right. So, you know, when you are, when you feel abandonment from, from people that you love and care, care about, or people that, you know, 
raised you or were a part of your your family, there's something about trying to keep the people that are currently in your life. So I look right. at what I experienced in my childhood and I see how it, it correlates as I got older to just people pleasing mm. and how people pleasing just really led me to, you know, hanging out with the wrong people, not really being with the right people at a certain t- point in time and, right. and just letting go. So I think I would have just uh, focused on pleasing myself right. and understanding that whoever stayed, whoever wanted to be your friend for the sake of being your friend, right. just keep to that. You know, those that are meant to be there will be there. Wow. Was there, was there a particular incident that happened that, you know, the light bulb moment for you that's, that you said, you know what, I need to stop going about it this way about pleasing other people and, you know, focus more on, on what makes me happy or more self-sufficient. Like, was there something that happened that kind of, I think there's Go ahead. a number of things that happened, oh, you know, wow. it was different experiences. So from, you know, like in high school, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and certain friends that I would do certain things for them that they would never do for me. Right. Or choosing to do better for myself as opposed to, you know, hanging around and smoking, drinking in high school. I was like, I wasn't into that. Right. And then being made fun of for make, for choosing something different mm-hmm. uh, or for being uh, more focused on my books, you know, and right. reading and liking that kind of stuff. And then being made fun of for that, you know, for being different or not for following the crowd. Right. So I remember looking at that. I was like, so I'm, a, I'm trying to advance myself and you're making fun of me for advancing myself. Okay. Right. All right. Well, we're not friends, you know? So right. I think uh, that, that really opened my eyes to see who, who was who. How did you manage those, those incidences though, where people were making fun of you? Cause I went through that where when I first came to Canada, there was a, a company that was making, um, uh, what do you call it? A laundry deterrent detergent and I think it was called ABC. So kids are creative as you probably already know, they mm-hmm. managed to use the ABC to create a negative acronym, which I'm not going to say, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It, it started with African blah, blah, blah. So yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, that's obviously bullying, but how did you manage yeah. those incidences and, and how did you come out of it? Cause you mentioned earlier that you were an angry kid because of, you know, the, the relationship that was, not there between you and your father. So how did you navigate that? Because I found I was an angry kid getting into fights every single day. And I became best friends with my vice principal being in his office. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what happened with you in that, in that situation? I think, honestly, I think what happened with me, uh, was at first, like in terms of initially my initial reaction, my initial response. Yeah was that I'd, I'd end up fighting people back. I'd end up like just getting into trouble, you mm-hmm. know? So it was more just mirroring what they were doing to me. Right. And I think I got out of it when I finally discovered poetry, to be honest with you. There was just so much negativity that I was holding on to that mm-hmm. one I didn't realize I was holding on to. So the moment I had a chance to just express what I felt, yeah. you know, the moment I had a chance to just let, let it out, it was a very liberating and freeing process and that became my way. So when I was going through stuff, I I at least had an outlet. And I think a lot of youth, if you don't have an outlet, you don't have something. It doesn't have to be the arts. It doesn't have to be sports, but just something where you can put that negative energy into. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how I handled it. I played a lot of basketball. So I took my aggression out on the basketball court as well. Nice. 
And in addition to that, I think I also let it out by just, just, uh, being a really good friend. I just wanted to be a good friend to those yeah. people. Cause I realized that a lot of bullies are just broken people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these, these bullies, because they're going through stuff, they just project things onto you. So I just tried to be a good friend to even people that weren't good friends to me. Cause I knew they were going through stuff. Right. Wow. I'm going to get to that poetry section in a bit, but how do you go about showing your family that you love them? What are some of the things that you do to express that? Huh. And it doesn't have to be anything sure. huge, but. I want to make sure I understood that question. How do I. Show your family members that you love them. Oh, man. Uh. I mean, I, I, you know, we don't often say I love you in our family. Yeah. So I'm always the first to say I love you, even if they don't re- reply back. I mean, I, they love me, but I, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is just, just trying to be of service, you know, trying to be of service if I can be a support. Because I'm the youngest, no one really wants to ask for my help. Right. But I see when they need help, so I'll just step in and, and just help. Uh, and then also being there for their children, like my, especially my brothers, I try to be there. As much as I can, you know, yeah. as much as I can, I try to be there for the children and celebrate yeah. them. Wow. Yeah. You're the favorite uncle or? <laughs> when I'm there, my nephew's kind of mad at me for not, for not being around. Yeah. But, uh, but when I, when I can, for sure, definitely, uh, I think I'm their favorite uncle. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I'm curious about this one because, uh, it, this is something that I throw at people just to see and also help others listening see if they can take a page out of, you know, anyone's uh, story. How has your lifestyle changes, you know, over the last five years? It could be, you know, habits that you've shed uh, or new habits that you picked up. What What are some of those um, changes that you've gone through over the last five years? I think the major thing, uh, especially, you know, through COVID and just analyzing certain relationships was kind of expecting through COVID, I really learned how to love Randell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized that whether it was even friendships or certain relationships, I was often looking to other people and based on how they treated me, I reflected how they treated me on like kind of my sense of self-worth and, right. and love. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to say the whole time, but I think during the pandemic, it was really amplified because I was alone. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really was able to take a step back and, understand, look at what my, what relationships I did already have, what they look like. Mm-hmm. So that's a major thing for me, just learning how to love myself deeply, just as I am for who I am. And I'd also say just like, just understanding how to, to take an idea and a thought and then manifest it into reality. You know, that's, yeah. I think those are two things for sure. That's dope. Um, if you can share one thing, <clears throat> Pardon me. If you can share one thing about the way you go about loving yourself better or more, just one activity that you do maybe on a regular basis that, you know, puts you in that space of appreciating you more. I just want people to be able to hear that and actually try and practice something different if they haven't been practicing this thing that you're going to share. So the one thing is a morning routine, uh, having a morning routine, something that it's good for my mind, my body, and my spirit. Nice. So often it's meditation. Okay. When the weather's warm, walks, just in, in, in walks in nature specifically, like taking my shoes off and just walking barefoot in nature. Nice. Uh, but having a morning routine, like that's the major thing, just having a routine. So 
before any of the BS throughout the day can even affect me. Right. I've already elevated my energy to a certain pinnacle that very little things can penetrate that sense of calmness that I, my, my morning routine and my meditations and, and uh, my affirmations do for me. Powerful. Thank you for that. <clears throat> now in your industry of empowering people and educating others, right? Uh, who are some of the mentors or, or sources of inspiration that you draw from every now and then? Uh, mentors, I got to give credit to those that really paved the path for me to be here in the first place. Mm-hmm. And those individuals are, uh, I mean, there's the B. Young, there's Lillian Allen, mm-hmm. there's Dwayne Morgan. There's so many more. Yeah. Um, but also Mark Stoddard. Uh, it's another person as well. And then I look at even my peers, like some of my peers who really inspire me, you know, yeah. um, my peers who really have, have taken a, a negative situation and made it really beautiful. Uh, and then I, I guess lastly, I, I look to my parents, you know, my parents, um, even though my parents aren't really in the industry, mm-hmm. um, in that way, I think I often just look at what they were trying to do for me when I was younger and the sacrifices that they made, you know, because for them, regardless, like no matter how difficult it was, the vision was, I don't care. I'm going to raise my son to be the best that I can do. I can. Um, so I'm just really inspired because even when I work with youth and in this industry, I, I, you got to sacrifice. Like, and I think about my parents and how they sacrificed for me. So that, that's where I really draw a lot of inspiration from in this field. That is awesome. Can you, I want to, I want people to learn a little bit more about Rise. Um, can you tell us a bit about Rise and, and what it's about, how you got, got that started and um, who are some of the people that, you know, supported you in getting it off the ground? Absolutely. So as you mentioned in the beginning, and for those that are listening, Rise stands for reaching intelligent souls everywhere. And initially it started out of a need in Scarborough because in Scarborough, we just didn't have any safe inclusive spaces, especially for us as black youth Mm -hmm. to really express ourselves, you know, in a positive way, we are often looked at with a a negative, I guess, intention connotation. Mm -hmm. We weren't given the space to really be ourselves. And a lot of the times that anger festers. So rise really started with creating safe spaces. So we started off at 23 people, 30 people, and it's ultimately people come and perform poetry, music, we have like conversations that are focused on a certain theme. So let's say the theme is overcoming negative obstacles. Mm-hmm. The performers would speak to that theme of how they overcame negative obstacles through music and poetry and dance. Mm-hmm. And then we have a conversation with the audience and the audience can kind of chime in in terms of what they were able, how they overcame negative obstacles or what lessons they learned yeah. from the obstacles that they went through. And that grew, it ballooned into developing artists and working with artists to support them as professionals, getting them professional opportunities and developing their business acumen. And then ultimately it really, it it really um, ballooned into creating employment opportunities for these artists to, to to perform and, you know, just learn a little bit more about the craft. Nice. Wow. Where, where do you see it going in the next, you know, a couple of years or even in the future further down? In the future, I can see it 
definitely international. You know, I can see us having a chapter in Ghana mm-hmm. and having a chapter in kind of different places around the city and perhaps, you know, the province. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately just something that another generation can, can have and come into. I think, I think one thing I want people to understand when they're listening to this episode is the power in, you know, expression. Because we started off the conversation talking a bit about, you know, story, telling our stories and things of that nature. And here is Rise, literally a platform that allows so many young people um, to take the stage and tell their story. Mm-hmm. Right. Through whatever, whatever emotion or ability that they, they had that day. And it didn't, it didn't mean that you had to be the most talented. It was literally an open space for anyone that had something to say in relation to that theme to express themselves and share that with their, you know, peers and, and, and the community. And I thought that was very powerful because for you to talk about it, honestly, it doesn't do it any justice. I think people just need to be there and experience yeah. it. Right. Absolutely. It was really life-changing the, the few times that I was able to come out. Um, so thank you for that. Thank and you. I, I want to take a step back. We were talking about poetry earlier. How did you get introduced to poetry? Like, was there someone that said, hey, read this or have you tried this or listened to this? Like, what what was the the spark? So, I mean, I was always really interested in literature. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't buy me any Playstations or Xboxes, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just said read. So I read. I always had an affinity for reading because of it. Mm-hmm. And it was my grade eight teacher that put a pen and paper in my hand. And that was probably the most inspiring thing because at that time I was really angry. I was so like, I used to get into a lot of trouble getting suspended at school and trouble with the police, but she was the first person to ever say, tell me your story. I care. Your story oh. matters without saying it in those words. Yeah. When you're the trouble kid, everybody writes you off. No yes. one wants to listen to you. Everyone just says, you're a bad kid. Like, go over there. But she was the first person to ever just say, tell me your story. Who are you? And ask me certain questions. So that was really life-changing and transformative. Wow. And she's actually the reason why I do the work I do with Rise, actually. Because by giving me a voice, it I had to pass the mic on. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Each one, each one. Man. It's crazy. As you say it, I'm thinking, shoot, it literally gave me chills because I feel like we're twins. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was grade wow. 10 for me, but same scenario. You know, one teacher um, introduced me, it was my art teacher, because that was my thing. My strength was in the visual arts. Mm-hmm. So she introduced me to a teacher that was teaching typewriting. And mm-hmm. that teacher was actually a poet and an author. Wow. So the connection was... She introduced me to her and said, I have to take her class. So I took the class. And while I'm in the class, I introduced myself and, and she finds out that I'm, you know, the visual artist. And she says, hey, do you want to actually design the cover of my second published uh, book wow. that's coming? And I said, sure. Wow. I didn't know what that meant, but I took it on. I designed it and she gave me the opportunity. And that was my intro to poetry. Wow. So I got invited out to her reading um, at the uh, Rivoli downtown mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then i see all these other poets live performance spoken word and i was like holy shoot i didn't realize there's a world of of poets wow. <laughs> Amazing. and then and shortly after that i discover you know deaf poetry and then um now I'm, I'm submerged into poetry and that was it that was a spark for me it was just that intro to wow. 
to it. That's incredible. Yeah. That's so incredible. It's, it's amazing. Um, can you share a story with us that really moved you along your journey, uh, whether it's through Rise or anything like that? It doesn't have to be a personal story, but something that maybe vicariously someone told you that really, you know, changed your perspective on, on the way you did things in that moment of your, at that point in your life or, or something like that? Um, I mean, without getting too deep into it, mm-hmm. uh, there, okay. There's a story about the ego, an eagle and the chicken. Okay. Uh, so, you know, long story short, there's an eagle's egg that gets lost. The eagle's egg, a farmer takes it and puts it under another chick, the chicken mm-hmm. and all the eggs hatch at the same time. So there's one eagle and there's these other chicks, right? Right. So the eagle tries to fly. But all the other chicks make fun, like, you know, as it gets older, the, all the other chicks make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one day it looked in the sky and it saw another ego and said, I want to be just like that. And so it kept trying, it kept trying, kept trying until one day it flew. And for me, that really resonates with me because I've always felt like an ego, like no disrespect to people I grew up with. I've always felt like an ego mm-hmm. among chickens, you know, yeah. because I was just in an environment where people didn't see themselves getting going any higher. They were so content with how high they could go. They were so content with where they were. But I saw something further and I knew that I could do more. But that really inspires me because even though it's it's kind of fictional, there's something there's something about my connection to the ego. Um, and not to say like I'm better than anyone, but I just my vision was different than everyone else's. That is so I think so, that story really inspires me. That is powerful. That metaphor is crazy too. I, I, <laughs> I love it. Oh man. Um, I am not my struggles. That's your book. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. How did that come to be? And and why the title? So the main reason for the title is that I wanted it to be something that when people say the title, the name, it's, it's an affirmation. Obviously mm-hmm. I'm not my struggles. Right. And it came up because through all the things I've been through in my life, I, re- I realized that none of those things define me. Mm-hmm. If anything, they designed me. They yeah. prepared me to be the person I wanted to be. I've always thought about writing a book and I, I kind of procrastinated, but you know, I think mortality is one of those things where I wanted to know that if I passed away, yeah. that at least I could leave a piece of me behind. That was my heart. So right now, thousands of people have copies of my book. And if anything were to happen to me, they could, they could look at a, a part of, a part of my journey. Uh, okay. I was going to say no pun intended, but now pun intended, but a chapter, <laughs> a chapter of my life in yeah. a sense, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's why I really wanted to write that book. Now, is it, a, is it a, a book of poetry? Is it a memoir? What type of book is it? It's a book of poetry. So it's, it's different poems about different themes, mm-hmm. whether it be about belonging or about abandonment or parents and fatherhood, things along those lines, but just a compilation that all speaks to overcoming adversity. Nice. And before I move on to the, my next question, can you share with the people where they can actually get a copy of your book? Because I haven't gotten one yet and I'm definitely going to get it because I know I can get it on your website, but I want you to share that information with them, please. Amazing. Well, if you want a signed copy, you can email me directly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for those that are listening, you can email me directly um, or just go on my website. Actually, go on my website and you can just contact me on my website. But the email is info at randellaj.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-A-N-D-E-L-L-A-D-J-E-I.com. 
Um, and you can get a signed copy if you email me directly, but otherwise it's available on my website and on Amazon. Beautiful. I'll make sure I put that information in the description as well so that people can grab that. Um, can you expand on the meaning behind, um, I mean, you, you, you spoke about it and I like it, that the fact that it's not defining who you are, right? It's the title is really powerful. And when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. And then the shirt, you kind mm-hmm. of expanded on the shirt as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a poem with that title in the book? There is. Um, and I'll share with you actually. Oh, wow. I'm okay. not my struggles. I'm not my pain. They are just roadblocks that prove how far I came. And I'll say it one more time. I'm not my struggles. I'm not my pain. They are just roadblocks that prove how far I came. And I, again, like I like that poem because it's short, straight to the point. But just to remind people, it's the times you fall along the way that help you stand up sh- stronger, firmer, um, and more aligned with who you are as a person. So that, that poem really resonates with me. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Share that. Um, how do you define success and have you achieved it yet? Uh, no, I don't believe that I've achieved it yet. I, I feel like success is, a, is, is the journey mm-hmm. uh, and the lessons and the opportunities along the way. But I also, I feel like I have reached some sort of success just because I, I look back when I was eight years old, I used to walk around my house pretending like I was speaking to thousands of people. And fortunately enough for the last maybe seven years of my life, I've had the opportunity or 10 years, I've had the opportunity to speak to thousands of people. Um, so, you know, I, I think success is a journey, but I do look at the child I was and the imagination I had at that time and seeing, seeing me doing what I'm doing today is man, the younger me would be really proud. Nice. Nice. Now I was going to push back a bit on that. Um, and then I, I, you know, allowed you to finish and I got the whole picture about success because I think you have accomplished quite a bit of success, like a lot of it. And I, I say that just because I want people to understand that success, oftentimes I find that we measure it with an ending, yeah. right? With the, with the scope yeah. of, oh, this is what it looks like at the end. And that's what success should look like. But I yeah. feel like you mentioned it, the journey is where the success yeah. happens, the small wins, right? And even the failures help create those um, coming upcoming uh, wins and victories. So to me, you've accomplished quite a, a bit and there's more to come. So I'm not sure what happened. <clears throat> no, I think my call, the, the signal probably dropped. Okay. okay. But um, yeah, so... I think the small victories and even the failures lead up to those, you know, you know, future successes that, that we are experiencing. And so I think you are successful and that you are defining it every day in different ways. Right. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. Appreciate that reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I noticed you did a talk on Ted talk. Mm-hmm. How was that experience like? It was a really great experience. At that time, I, I, I look back, it was eight years ago. Yeah. I, I changed a lot about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've, I've grown so much from that point in time, but it was a proud moment. I won't lie. It was, proud, it was a proud moment for me because, again, I always saw myself as someone who could speak positivity. Yeah. And to be able to, to, to be on TED and, and, and speak my truth. And, mm. and 
you know, just get a, a room full of people that really understood where I was coming from. That was really powerful for me. Did, did they reach out to you or did your um, team kind of reach out to them? They actually reached out to me, which was really cool too, you know? So just uh, like they, you know, they wanted, yeah, they, they reached out to me. So that was really, really awesome. Nice. Really fun. Nice. So I, I heard someone describe the experience before, and I'm trying to figure out if it's similar to what you went through uh, working with Ted, is that they give you quite a bit of rest- restraint and and what you can and cannot do as far as being on that stage and and doing your um, your speech or your perf- presentation. Was that something that you experienced where they said, okay, well, you may not be able to use a PowerPoint, for example, or you might not be able to do this, or was there any restrictions that you had to overcome was there a time constraint as well or yeah there is definitely definitely a lot of restrictions definitely some time constraints you know they they really know um yeah they're very very mindful of what they want mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a, it was a great experience honestly through and through it was a great experience and, and I'm, I'm grateful that i got to do it uh, but even still besides it all uh i got to speak my truth and they like the one thing is it didn't they didn't kind of uh they didn't minimize your truth, right. you know? So that, that experience for me was really beautiful. Nice, nice. I appreciate you sharing that. <clears throat> so we're in a segment of the show that I call Thinking Out Loud, mm-hmm. right? And so um, <clears throat> in this segment here, what I do is I have the most random question, right? The most okay. random. This is where I have some fun with it. It's to really break the tension between how serious the conversation is and to lightening it up a little bit. So I'm going to ask you a question with two options and you got to choose one. All right. So would you rather turn into a purple panda or (laughs) (laughs) or a heart shaped pillow every time you laugh? (laughs) Ah, man, (laughs) probably a purple panda. (laughs) I like that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. No, I, I like to throw that one in there. Why the purple panda, though? Uh, I just think of a, like, I just think of something really cuddly. And, you know, I like, I, I can imagine they have really deep, deep and, and powerful laughs. Dope, dope, <laughs> dope, dope. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, I, I do that just to shake things up a bit. Um, now, do you believe that what is meant for you will always find you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I definitely believe, you know, regardless of, regardless, I think, you know, if you're destined to do something, mm-hmm. then nothing and no one can hold you back from doing what it is you need to do. Right. Right. That's dope. Now, you know, I, w- I don't want to call it the elephant in the room, but it's, the main thing that happened in the last year or so that everybody's kind of talking about being the first poet laureate of Ontario. What does that actually mean? I want to, I want to, I want the people to hear from you. Um, and why is it significant? Uh, it means a lot. I won't lie. It means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the opportunity to just represent, um, you know, just represent, Black youth represent Scarborough, represent Ghana and all the different things that make me who I am as a person. Um, And I think, you know, just, just, I want, I want youth to see themselves 
and know that it's possible. Like whatever dreams and visions they had, that it's possible. Because most people I told when I first started, uh, they, you know, a lot of people shut down the idea, but I just want, I want you to know it's possible. Mm-hmm. But also I want, I want you to know that poetry and the arts is an opportunity to really um, express yourself, to really let go, to really release some of the hardships and challenges. But to all of us, all of us, mm-hmm. you know, have that opportunity with poetry to really let go and really tap into, uh, you know, the gifts that we have inside of us. And, and I think lastly, I want to, I want young people to know that, that literature, like I just want to increase literature. I've always loved reading and I think we're moving away from, you know, reading books Mm -hmm. uh, and the love of reading books for, for our young people. And I want them to just be inspired to get back into that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have any idea that this opportunity was coming your way? Um, before, before it was announced, yes, I did have an idea cause I, I applied for it. So I, I did know before it was announced, but mm-hmm. still, you know, it's, it's still, still was a, a remarkable moment just to like, it was real. Like it actually happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think what's, what's important there too. The other message is that you prepared, right. And, and not through Absolutely. just the application, but your body of work, your consistency, the messaging that you've been sending out since you started your journey. And, and people don't realize those are the moments no one's paying attention. We all got to see you on the spotlight when they made the announcement, but no one mm. knew the legwork and the hard lifting and the, the grind that you were going through and putting in behind the scenes leading up to opportunities like this. Absolutely. You know, so a lot any, of work. Yeah. And, and I, I stress that because I want anyone listening. There's nothing that you see on your television screen or your phone that was an overnight success. No, that individual no. put in a lot of sweat equity that you didn't hear anything about. Absolutely. You know, so it Absolutely. just seems because I don't want the next generation to think that it's easy. You know, you snap a finger, no. you, you post a video and and that's it. And all of a sudden you're successful. No, that's 10 years plus sometimes. Right. Absolutely. You know, the, the background work is important. and I want people to recognize that even athletes and and anybody that's trying to achieve something significant that's you know that's meaningful for them put in the work it will happen what is meant for you will find you right and that's what we're talking about here absolutely you know what are i is there one can you share one responsibility that you have with this new opportunity this new role that you have is there a responsibility that that comes with that Uh, i mean the main responsibility is advocating for arts and culture across the province Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I'm just, because it's the first, I'm also just building out what the next, what it looks like for the next poet laureate. So right. that's really the only expectation, just to steward the position for the, for the future. Yeah. And then also to just advocate for arts and culture. So I'm creating it as I go because it's new, right? Yeah. Now, thank you for that. We're, we're nearing the end, but I'm, I'm curious to ask this. What are you most excited about at this point in your journey? I'm most excited about, uh, I, I guess, you know, humbly, I've never been as smart, as wise, as financially astute, as uh, I've never been, I've never been this far. Today is the farthest I've been along my journey. So I guess I'm just really, really excited about what, uh, what I can do, given what I, I've, like all the skills and things I've now learned yeah. and who I can and who I am and what I can do with who I am. That's, that's really exciting. That's awesome. Now I, I yeah. notice I notice you have something on your uh, 
email signature that stuck out to me and I want to ask you about it is a quote. It says, we suffer to inspire. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Where did that come from? And what does that mean to you? <clears throat> For me, it really means that, you know, uh, just because you go through something and it's, it's a difficult hardship, it doesn't mean that it ends there. It doesn't mean that you just go through it. I mean, to me that you go through it, learn the lesson, feel what you need to feel, but ultimately take that wisdom and share that with somebody else and, and, and use that as an opportunity to inspire them to keep going along their journey. So that's really what I get. Uh, that's really what I get from it, honestly. And that's a full circle moment right there because we started talking about growth and learning, constantly learning something new. And here you are pointing out, you know, the, the, the obvious to me and you <clears throat> that our failures are the learning opportunities sometimes and our successes are also a learning opportunity. So regardless of what's happening in your life, take a moment to find and identify those moments, those teachable moments and, and grow from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you also mentioned earlier project Randall. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It sounds like a lot. I mean, Uh, well, I mean, Go ahead. You are a lot, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what, you know, no matter what projects and things that come up in life, like we should always be working on ourselves, you know? Mm. Um, and I think as I'm always working on myself, I never feel like I've ever arrived or gotten to a certain place. Like there's always growth. There's always so much more learning that comes. So I'm always just working on myself, just trying to be better. Nice. Do you, yeah. do you have another book in the works that we should be looking forward to as well? I am. I'm actually, I have a, a few poems that I've penned down. I'm just trying to put some, some more together mm-hmm. uh, and then publish something. Uh, yeah. I'm working on publishing, publishing something. Nice. Nice. Now, when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? When it's all said and done, I just want to be remembered as an alchemist, honestly, someone who was able to transform these really rocky moments into golden opportunities someone who served, like I, I just, I wake up every day and I just, that's it. Everything I do is about serving. So I want to be known as someone that served, someone that uh, paved the path. And, and I just, I want to, I want to make sure that there, there can be another Randall in the future. So I, I hope to be remembered by that and being a good father. That's really important to me too, actually. Dope. 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 Yeah. Man. Yeah. Now, before we wrap things up, can you leave our listeners with a word of wisdom to guide them on their journeys? Um, Anything that you can share with them that'll help them or inspire them to continue pushing forward? So we often look to our ancestors. We look to those that have come before us, those who set a path, whether it be our parents or grandparents, great-grandparents. And we look to them because we see what they've done for us. But I think it's also really important to recognize that one day, we too are going to be someone's ancestor, you know, and we're going to be someone's ancestor and that we have to be cognizant of what it is that we do uh, here on this earth. And that every day is an opportunity to carve a legacy that can inspire the next generation ultimately. So that's, that's, that's really what I'd love to leave people with. Man, Randall, before I let you go, can you share with the public, the listeners, anybody that's tuned in here, um, where they can pick up your book once again, any merch, where they can follow you on social media, how to continue to, you know, stay abreast of your journey and, and learn more about what you're creating, what you're putting out there and how they can stay connected with you. You can find me on Instagram mainly. Uh, in, my Instagram is uh, 
Randella, J-R-A-N-D-E-L-L-A-B-J-E-I. And my website is the same, my name. Uh, you can get my a copy of my book on the website as well. And and uh, I guess you, you can also find me, OntarioPoet.org. Um, that's also another website that I have for my position as a poet laureate. My brother, thank you for blessing the show today. Can't thank you enough. My pleasure. And it was awesome to get to know you a little bit more, to learn more about your journey. And obviously, I think the people are going to be excited to hear this episode. I'm excited to share it with them. I want to thank you. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in every week. Until next episode, love, peace, and nappiness. Mm-hmm.